Um, good morning as we uh, begin to, to look at God's Word and begin this brand new series called Home Improvements. Let me tell you a couple things this series is not. It is not a review of the 90s sitcom called uh, Home Improvement. It's not Tim the Toolman Taylor, uh, Al, and the guy across the fence named Wilson. You will not hear any grunts from, like uh, Tim the Toolman had. Um, so that's one thing this series is not. Um, it's also not a work-on-the-house improvement type of series because, as anyone who knows me even just a little bit knows, that I would be the absolute wrong guy to be talking to you about house improvements. But instead, this is all about home improvements. In essence, this is a series all about family. And so if you haven't done so already, as we get going here, if you could take out that colored insert in your service folder, or if you're watching online, just simply click the, the little tab, and it'll allow those notes to come right up, and you can follow along there as well. So when preaching about family, it can be a little bit tricky. And, and here's the reason why it can be tricky, as I kind of planned and thought about this over the last couple weeks is that you think about the family, and every single family is different in big ways and or in small ways. And so it can be a little bit tricky. I mean, think about all the differences in families. Some of you are single. Some of you are married. Um, some of you are widows or widowers. Uh, some of you are divorced and single. Some of you are divorced and, and remarried. And so there's the blended family thing going on there. Um, some of you have kids. Some of you have grandkids. Some of the families or some of you want kids. Um, some of you wanted kids, but now that you have them, you're not sure you want them anymore. You know, there's that, there's that dynamic as well. In some of our families, there's a mom and a dad. In some families, there's only a mom or only a dad. In some families, because of uh, uh, blended families, there's maybe two moms and two dads and the steps and all of that kind of stuff that goes into a blended family. Um, some of us have our family right here in Minnesota, and we see them a lot, maybe sometimes more than we wish, right? And others of us have family all across the country, and we, we don't get to see them very, very often. Some of you hear the word family, and it right away brings you back to a very happy place with warmth and just uh, some of the best times of your life as you think about the, your family of origin. Others of you... And it's good for us who have had good experiences with family to realize this. You think about your family of origin, and it, it's not so rosy. And, and your first thoughts might be frustration, um, resentment, anger. The point is that all of us have different types of families, different experiences with family. And so I got to thinking, what are things that we have in common? Uh, is there anything that could be true for, for every single person in this room when it comes to family. And there might be more than this, but there's two of them I want to point out. The first one is this, that we all have one. <laughs> Even if maybe sometimes we wish we didn't, we all have a family. And again, some of them are big with lots of cousins, and some of our families are small. But we all have one. Even if you're someone here this weekend or watching online that could honestly say that you have no blood family left, even in those cases I was thinking, you probably have people close enough to you that you would call them family. So we all have family, 
The second thing that's true for, for all of us is that none of us have a perfect family. And let me say, just because my family sits up here next to me and we oftentimes look happy, not perfect, but happy, even pastors' families are, are not perfect and not rosy. It has a lot to do with the husband and the dad. But anyway, none of us have a perfect family. We all have dysfunction. Um, we all have challenges and, and problems. We, we all have that aunt or that uncle or that third cousin once removed that we just, you know, wish we could avoid, you know, type of thing. None of us have a perfect family. And, and, and here's the reason. There is sin in every family, and there is sin in every family member. And so the, the perfect plan that God had for the family to be perfect is absolutely impossible for us to be absolutely perfect. And, you know, it's interesting that um, being a dad always seemed easier before I became one. Like, you know, you think about it as an early 20-something or even as a teenager. Not that I thought about being a dad that much as a teenager, but you think about being a dad and it's like, okay, I'm going to do everything that my dad didn't and not do the things that he did, and it's just going to be perfect. You know what it's like? When you think about family in theory, it's like watching uh, a YouTube video and there's music behind it. Because every time there's music behind the video, all of a sudden everything you watch seems a little bit cooler and nicer, right? That's what it's like thinking about family in theory. But then family in reality, it's imperfect and it's a whole lot harder than family in theory. So here's what's true because these things are true. Every family here has room for home improvements. Every family here has room to make some home improvements. Now, where do we even start, right? Well, I think I need to start with him. We don't know. Where, where do we even start? Um, a house is made of what? Wood, glass, building materials. So in order to make house improvements, you consider what the house is made of, and then you think about, okay, what types of materials and how do they best work together, and ultimately that's kind of how you make house improvements. What's a home made of? People, yeah. And the thing that connects people is something called relationship. And so in order to make home improvements, this series is going to be all about relationships, about relationships between people, our first fill-in says this. Home improvements are connected to relational improvements. And so as I, I thought about the weeks of this series, here's something that became really clear to me. While the application is going to be specifically geared towards family, <laughs> what we're going to talk about is going to help every relationship in your life. Like with a coworker that you don't get along with or a boss or, you know, the things that we're going to talk about will help with the, the student three lockers down from you that you can't and difficult time getting along with. This series is all about relationships and direction that God will give us in how to act and interact better um, with each other. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of lay the foundation for the entire series because there is this key to a improving home or to a home or a family that God would want for us that is absolutely essential. 
And what happens when that key is there or is not there absolutely changes the atmosphere of the entire family. This key is foundational to all five weeks of this series. So we're just going to simply talk about the key today, and the next four weeks we're going to apply it in different ways. So with that type of introduction, let's, uh, let's get into things. So about 2,000 years ago in the mid-first century, there was a church in a Greek city called Corinth. I've got a little map of this up for you today. So over here is Jerusalem, if you're familiar with the Mediterranean Sea. Greece is right here, as you can see, and then there's a town called Corinth right here on that uh, peninsula. Paul, one of the pastors in the Bible, one of the greatest missionaries who's ever lived, he planted a church in Corinth, and as we read through some of his writings, what comes to mind right away, what we see is that these, this particular congregation, very early in its existence, started to have relationship issues. The people didn't get along. Now, there were different reasons for that. I'm going to put them in two categories. The first reason people didn't get along was legit, because there were certain people in the church that were allowing sin to be okay, um, were teaching things falsely, and so legitimately, those that saw that had a little conflict with that, and The truth is sometimes God asks us to put tranquility aside for the sake of truth. So that was one category of, uh, I guess, relationship issues going on. The other category wasn't quite as noble. There was a lot of stuff going on in the Corinthian congregation that was just due to the fact that people didn't want to get along. And they found a lot of things just to be upset with each other about. Let me give you a couple examples. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 3, you'll read that there was these cliques that started to form in the church in Corinth. And the clickiness was all about which teacher or preacher of the Corinthian congregation was the best one and who they felt they were following. So they named three names. There was uh, Paul, as we already talked about, a man named um, Apollos, and then Cephas, or, or Peter, the disciple, who never really was a pastor of Corinth, but obviously they had his teachings and also his, one, you know, his writings. And so um, they're like, I follow Peter. No, he's not good. I follow Paul. And then there's a fourth group that's like, no, you guys are all wrong. I follow Jesus. You never go wrong following Jesus. So they, you know, they certainly had a point. But they were arguing about something so dumb. And, and Paul's like, knock it off, guys. Knock it off. You don't need to argue about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see the Corinthian uh, congregation members arguing about basically the inability to come to agreement on things. And what was happening is because they were so stubborn and unwilling to work together, when they had disagreed, they would have to take it to the courts to figure out. And Paul, in my translation, the way that I would translate it, basically says, guys, quit acting so childish. I mean, you're embarrassing our church. You're embarrassing the name of Jesus. Just knock it off. (laughs) And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there was uh, another disagreement that they had. Basically, they were arguing about which gifts or talents were better gifts or talents, especially in regards to the church. So to put it in our context, it's like the... uh, 
the, the keyboardist over here saying, you know, I have the most important job and the best gift in the whole congregation, and all you fusion teachers are second to me, you know, type of thing. It's like, why do we need to go there? I mean, you're important as a keyboardist. You're important as a fusion teacher. We're all important. We all have important gifts together. <laughs> and so Paul writes this big chapter uh, essay on um, how the, the church should be like a body. And every part of the body is important. And he, he writes this humorous thing. He's like, what would happen if the whole body was just an eye? Like one big eyeball, all right? And he's like, where would the, the sense of hearing be? And how ugly of a person that would be if he was just an eyeball, right? And what if the whole body was an ear, right? How would that person, and they wouldn't be able to see because it's just an ear. Um, it's like every part of the body, every gift is important. And then all of a sudden it's like, Paul presses pause because in chapter 14, he comes back to giving them advice. But in chapter 13, it's as if he just wants to level the playing field and just let them know what the key to this whole thing is. All this advice, but now (laughs) here's the key. Um, This is how he introduces chapter 13. He says, and yet, you've heard all that I just said about all these things, all this relational advice, and yet I'm going to show you the best way, the most excellent way. If you had to boil it all down to one thing, here's the key. Very next verse in chapter 13. See, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. This, this tongue speaking might be new to you. Um, in essence, it was the ability to speak in different languages without ever having studied them. This was one of those gifts of the church that some were promoting as being the best gift. And Paul's like, you know, let's say you have the best gift, or at least what you think is the best gift, and you're able to speak in even the tongue of angels. But if you have great things to say in a great way, but love's not attached to them, you're just like a bunch of, you know, pots and pans clanging together. It's about as as useful as it's going to be if there's no love attached. Verse 2. Or if I have the gift of prophecy, in our language or vernacular would be if, you know, you can preach really well. And you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. You're you're really smart. You understand the depths of wisdom and of the world. And if I have a faith that can move mountains. You have a great trust in God and in, in Jesus, but you don't have love? I'm nothing. No, if you have faith, you certainly still are going to heaven, but when Paul writes, I'm nothing, it means, what good is that going to be? When it comes to edifying or being a blessing to the rest of the church or to the world, if you, do, if you have all this stuff but you don't have love, it's not helpful. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but, but if I don't have love, I gain nothing. It's worth nothing. And, and the key, the essential ingredient to, to homes and to all relationships without which... A healthy relationship is hard to almost impossible, is love. 
Now, isn't that quite insightful, huh? You're probably thinking, you know, I already knew that. But let's, let's dig down just a little bit, because when you think love, you think nice feelings about someone. I, I, I don't think we really get to the action part of this word, because this word love is the Greek word agape, and it has more to do with action than it has to do with feeling. Here's our, our next fill-in. Love is the essential key to health in the family. See what I did there? That took like five, ten minutes for me to get that. And so you kind of have to say family a little bit for it to work. Love is the essential key to health in the family. See the hyphen? Family. I'm just making sure you got it, okay? Because I took a lot of time on that. All right. Um, love, but not that feeling love. It's, it's agape. It's an activity. It's an, it's an action. Here's what agape is. Agape is essentially putting other people in front of yourself. It's thinking less about what makes me happy and more about that other person happy. It's thinking less of what I need and more of what they need. It, it's, it's being considerate as a goal instead of being right as the goal. And that type of love is the essential key. This action, this activity of thinking of others more than we think of ourselves. And Paul goes on to give a whole on what this looks like. And in fact, I'm going to read it, and you're going to have the temptation to just kind of zone out because there's a lot of words here. So here's what I want you to do. As I read them, I want you to think about one of these that really connects with your heart, that, that you just think, oh, yeah, that's, Paul is so true. That agape is that, okay? So here we go. You've heard these verses before. Agape is patient. Agape is kind. Agape doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Agape always protects. It always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. <laughs> now that's a list that can be a little bit overwhelming. Does your home, do you have any home improvements to make? Do we have anything on this list that we could do a little bit better or a lot better? Do you have room to grow, actions or attitudes to repent of? The truth is, every single one of us do. But this agape love changes things. As we strive to that, which we're never going to be able to do perfectly, but we tr strive towards improving, agape love is worth it because it can absolutely change the environment of a home. You know, there's certain things that change the environment of certain places. Let me give you a non-agape-related example. So up years ago, in my entire childhood, um, the interior of a McDonald's looked something like this. It was very mundane, very, like, words all over it. No, okay. Um, 
very mundane, bright lights. It was just very simple, and you'd go there, and you'd get your Big Mac value meal, supersize it, and, and I mean, no one wanted to hang out at McDonald's unless you had kids who wanted to go in the Playland or whatever, kid that wanted to go into Playland. But otherwise, you, you just go to McDonald's, you get your food, you eat, you leave, right? Within the last three years, here's one of the styles of a typical McDonald's. They've totally changed things. Have any of you been to the Lakeville McDonald's or a McDonald's that kind of looks like, like, yeah, I'm the only person in the whole church that has admitted that I've been going to McDonald's. And <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of it. Uh, now, why would I go to McDonald's? Well, it is that I enjoy the environment. So there are times when there's really a lot of busyness going on here and I need to study. And I recognize that a uh, a $2 coffee at McDonald's is a lot cheaper than a $5 coffee at Caribou. So I go to McDonald's instead, and I actually want to stay because the inside, the atmosphere has changed, okay? For a, a house, you put some different paints up on the wall, you, sure, you put different decorations, and it just, the house feels different. But, but none of that is going to do anything necessarily to the home, to the family, because much bigger than anything we put on the wall is the relationship between people and the thing that can absolutely change the atmosphere of those relationships is not a feeling of love because feelings come and go, but it's a commitment to put other people in the family first. And when every single person in the family does that as best as they can, the atmosphere can change. The atmosphere can get better. Now, you're going to have the tendency to think right away, well, that person in the family needs to change or the other person in the family. The reality is you can't control their desire or, or their change. And so it's just going to have to start with you. And dads, I would say it starts with us. And moms, you're not too far behind. And wives. And kids, your parents should start it, but then you follow. And if every single person in the family strives or considers it, the atmosphere can change. I, I remember... I mean, you know families that at times just there's this cloud hanging over, you know, sometimes, and just seems like it's tense all the time. As a kid, there was a, a friend I had about three or four houses down the block, and every time his dad came home from work, it was just like this cloud. And, you know, there wasn't arguing. You could just feel the tension. And there's days in all of our homes where that, when on those days and every day, we think agape, the atmosphere can change. Now, that's the key, I believe, biblically. People agapeing one another. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at specific applications of agape, but I wanted to give you one also for today. When I looked at verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, I, probably like you, was overwhelmed by all the things that I could do or I should be doing, and I'm like, well, I can't just say, go do all those things. 
But is there some way to summarize all of that? Is there, a, is there a one action item that I could give that would sort of epitomize agape? And, and here's what I came up with, and then I'm going to explain it. Our next fill-in. Prioritize relationship in and with your family. Prioritize relationship over everything else. Here is the takeaway, the action, action item. I want you to consider this question as you bump into different life circumstances. What does it look like prioritize relationship over being and then fill in the blank? Let me give you some examples of this. So when we have the opportunity to do a bunch of things at work and a bunch of things at school and a bunch of things after school, there's certainly nothing wrong with any of those things more than likely. But could it be helpful to take a step backwards and just to ask this question, like to prioritize relationship over being busy? Because in the midst of busyness, sometimes we can compromise relationship because we're just like ships passing in the night type of thing. Or how about this one? When you're presented with a a new job opportunity or a a new project to do where you have the choice and you know it's going to more time and energy and all of that comes with it, I'm not saying you shouldn't take it. I'm just saying what would happen if we asked this question? What does it look like to prioritize relationship over being successful? There's nothing wrong with being successful, but I think we'd all agree relationship in our family is even more important. What would it look like if I prioritize this over that? Or how about, how about this? How about when you're in the midst of, in our, our homes, we don't, we don't argue. We just discuss things, okay? So when you're in the middle of an argument, and you know you have all the facts behind to, to make that you know you are right on this one, right? And in the midst of that, you can make your point and do a little bit of a touchdown dance in front of your spouse because you are absolutely right. What did it look like to prioritize relationship over being right? You might be right, but how do you get through that in prioritizing relationship even though you are right? Or how about, how about when there is this difficult topic in the family that um, you know is making family life difficult, but no one wants to talk about it? Or maybe it's when, um, you know, you're going through that period of day, an hour, or a week where you're kind of giving each other the silent treatment, you know, I... What would it, because it's more comfortable, what would it happen, what does it look like to prioritize relationship over being comfortable? Because it's probably going to be more comfortable to do nothing, not to have the conversation, to not call, to not text, to not say anything, but, but that's not going to help the relationship. Last example. Um, at night, it can be easy to family all to have, you know, go in their separate corners and have screen time and all that stuff. And, and then some days, that's okay. But what would it look like to prioritize relationship over being entertained? And you know, you notice I haven't given you answers for all of these things. 
Because I don't know what it looks like for you. What I do know is when I question, what does it look like to prioritize relationship in our homes? That we're starting to get to the agape kind of love that God encourages us to have and to show each other in the family. Overwhelmed yet? Maybe a little. I hope I gave you something that you can easily begin to think about. And but I want to close with this encouragement. You're not in this alone. Because the greatest and best example of agape is the one that each and every one of us has benefited from. Because when God saw us in the midst of our sin and our inability to be the families that we want to be every day, he chosen to be too busy to help us out or to be too more comfortable than um, what it was going to take. But instead, Jesus, in agape love, our last fill-in, he chose or prioritized relationship with you. We have this awesome blessing of having a Savior God who prioritized relationship with you over everything else. And that big difference in the home. When Jesus is at the center, agape love between people doesn't become an absolute, but it becomes easier. When your kids or your spouse understands the love of Jesus in them and for them, it is the only way, it is the best way to be able then to share that same kind of agape love with the other people in our family. And it also reminds that just because our family isn't perfect doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't forgive us or he's not there. It just means that we need him. His strength, his help, his forgiveness. And so next week, we're going to continue this look at uh, homes with the foundation of agape, and we're going to take a specific look at the words that we use in our home, whether good or bad, and how love affects that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the love of Jesus, who is not only the example, but the source of strength for us in applying agape love to our homes. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have... Um, uh, not been mindful of your direction for the home, and then strengthen us through your word to have a renewed uh, joy in what relationship over everything else. We pray all this in Jesus' name and also pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.